Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Believe in Lions. I'm your host, Derek Okri, right here on the Believe Podcast Network, where I believe in the Detroit Lions. And by the end of this episode, so will you. Really excited to bring on Logan Lamarandier again. We, we, we've given all his accolades. Everybody knows who this guy is. He always comes on, has great lion takes, opinions. I'm going to put him to the test today. Logan, how are you? Doing good. How about yourself? Real good. Um, now the pleasantries are out of the way. Let's get to business. Let's talk Detroit Lions, man. What I want to do today on the show is give you some kind of some battles. You know, I, I went and did a 53 way, way, way too early 53 man roster last week where I, I broke it all down and sort of saw how I uh, thought it might shake out here in May. But I thought we'd ask you kind of what are some of these battles, how you see them shaking out. And I want to get your um, thoughts on some contracts as well. So you ready to do this? I'm ready when you are. All right, man. Let's let's start right at one of my favorite uh, spots on the Detroit Lions roster. I mean, it's a very intriguing one. Lots of opinions on both sides uh, on this one. What do you think about Carrion Johnson versus DeAndre Swift? Now, I'm not talking about one or the other not being on this team. I'm just talking about when you're talking about the number one running back. Are you going to go with the guy that's been here a couple years? Are you going to go with the rookie, maybe whoever's the better player? What are your thoughts on these two guys? I think it's going to be probably one of those things. They're going to wait to see how the camp battles play out. If you know there is training camp, it sounds like the Lions will at least be on schedule to get some sort of battle going but you know everyone knows the biggest thing with carry on is just staying healthy uh his rookie season even you know last year in 2019 even before he went on the ir it wasn't as good of a second year as it was his rookie season but i think if he can find kind of find that rookie year magic i think he's the man to beat uh he's a well-rounded back he's a guy that can run with a little bit of power he can catch the ball he can pass block and Swift is in the same mold where Swift can do it all. And Swift is a little bit more electric and has a little more moves. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think the lions, they typically don't just, you know, hand over the, the younger players, uh, a starting job, you know, they have to earn it. Now there has been quite a few first round picks in the past where the lions had huge needs and they just hand it right over to the rookies, but at the running back position, having carry on and even Bo Scarborough who played well down the stretch last season. I foresee it kind of being one of those deals where it is a running back by committee for a while, unless Swift really, you know, grabs the reins and is the obvious, you know, best player and the best back in the backfield, they might have to give him the ball a little bit more, but I don't think he's going to be the workhorse by any means, or even necessarily a feature back right away. So I, you know, long-term, I think it'll be DeAndre Swift, but to start, especially on a shortened offseason, I carry on Johnson, knows the system, and, uh, you know, can 
probably just has a little leg up just from the mental aspect of the game. Yeah, I'm with you there in the end. I think, you know, Karrion might get the nod, but I think over the, the next few years, Swift will be the more impactful player, and uh, I hope they, they kind of give him the, the amount of touches and rocks that he needs to be able to make some plays. Um, let, let's move to the next one. These are in really no particular order, just ones I thought I'd be curious to get your opinion. Um, how about a bottom of the roster uh, in regards to receiver? You know, I kind of broke it down with my top uh, four or so were five and six sort of get kind of cloudy. Um, Travis Fulgham... Or, or Marvin Hall, who are you keeping on this roster when you get down to the bottom end of our receiver group? Yes, yeah, so I like Marvin Hall. Last year, he was an explosive play waiting to happen. You know, had like was averaging like 40 yards per catch most of the year. And he is a right. gadget player, but maybe he's a one-trick pony, but the trick is pretty cool. And as with Fulgham, you know, he's still developing. He didn't even make the roster out of uh, the final cuts, you know, they kept around the practice squad and then did get some game action towards the end of the year. But you look at his skill set, Bolgum's skill set, and it's very similar to what, you know, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, even Cephas. He, he's not going to win with pure speed. He's going to win with body control and being able to pluck the ball out of the air and box out defenders. And you didn't really see that too much uh, in his rookie year. Maybe he's developed and learned the system a little better, but Marvin Hall still provides an element to the Lions offense that no other receiver on their team provides. And that's just pure speed. And given his size, he still is able to use his body well. And you saw it even last year where he was able to adjust to passes. And even when players were on him in pretty good coverage, he was able to come down with passes. So I, I'm a big fan of Marvin Hall. Maybe last year was just a flash in the pan, but I think he even had some nice years, you know, previously too, before the Lions. So I, Marvin Hall to me is a guy that, you know, even this year going in the draft, I really wanted the Lions to add a speed player to their, you know, their arsenal at the wide receiver position. And they kind of did the opposite opposite of that by adding Cephas. But uh, Marvin Hall, to me, should get the nod just because he has a more diverse skill set than what Fulgham has, who the Lions have plenty of guys that kind of do what he does. All right. So you're taking Hall out of those two. Quick follow-up. Uh does Hall make the uh, the active roster then on game days? And uh, if Fulgham doesn't, are, are you still able to keep him around? Or are you just done with him? No, I think Fulgham's fine on the practice squad. Uh, that's Unless he really shows signs of improvement, I think that's the type of player he is right now. He's a practice squad player. And yeah, I think Marvin Hall will be on the active roster at the start of the season. Maybe with Jason Huntley, the running back, uh, you know, there's potential to play, have him play in the slot maybe a little bit and kind of have that old Jamal Agnew role on offense where he's the guy who just goes in motion, gets some, you know, jet sweeps and stuff of that nature. But uh, to me, Marvin Hall needs to find a role on the team because when he played last year, he made good plays. And that's what the Lions offense, that's what Daryl Bevel wants to do. He wants to take shots. And anytime Marvin Hall's on the field, a defense have to account for him where I don't think that's the case for Fulgham. All right. Interesting. Uh, this next one's a triple threat match. Uh, we got uh, Joe Dahl versus Wiggins um, versus, gosh, who? Oh, Stenberg. I can't even read my own writing here. We got Stenberg. Uh, triple threat uh, in regards to the interior <laughs> offensive lineman position. I mean, if it's a real triple threat in a steel cage, we know Stenberg is the one coming out on top in that match. But uh, on the football field, who, who are you going with in regards to those three, in regards to like a starter? And then if you had to trim those three down to two for the uh, the roster itself, how do you how do you do it? 
Yeah. So I guess, are you giving Jonah Jackson a starting spot right away? Yeah, I've got, I've got him penciled in. Okay. Yeah. So I think Dahl should be penciled in as the starter last year. He played pretty well. Um, you know, if you look at ESPN's win rate metric for guards, he was top 10 and past uh, pressures allowed just uh, based on, they do things a little bit differently in PFF, but ESPN has a stat that they basically look at how long offensive guards uh, it takes them before they give up, you know, a, a sack or a pressure. And if it's over two and a half seconds, it's considered a win. So Joe Dahl in the passing game was top 10 in that metric and pass rush win rate. So I think he is a little bit, you know, a little bit of a sleeper. I think the Lions fans know who he is mostly, but he did have a, a solid season last year, more of a pass blocker than a run blocker. That's why he was on the left side. So I like Joe Dahl to start uh, Kenny Wiggins. It was interesting because the last couple of years they were giving him like $2 million contracts per season. And then this year they gave him the vet minimum and they signed him a little later in the season. So you'll wonder if, they're not as high on him and they feel like they can replace him. And anytime you take a guard in the fifth round, you know, obviously I think that guy's going to make the team. So it's probably Kenny Wiggins is the odd man out, but who knows? He was the first guy in, in that guard rotation that they've had last year. Kenny Wiggins saw plenty of starts and he's seen plenty of starts over the past few years with the Lions just due to injuries. So it is a veteran guy who has some experience, but if you had to make a tough cut, I think Wiggins was the first one gone. But I do think he'll still make the roster. Um, I don't think he'll have to be cut because there'll be other guards they could let go. But I, I like Stenberg as a right guard, like a run blocker, Mahler. Uh, he has some work to do and some refinement to his game. But I'm, I'm pretty excited just to see what he can provide in the run game. And you know, as a, even as a pass blocker, he played well at Kentucky, even though they're not a pass blocking offense and they very rarely ever were in true pass sets. But oddly enough, Stenberg had, you know, the highest, um, you know, pressure against rate or pressure allowed rate, pass blocking efficiency, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he had the highest in the NCAA last year, but that's again, due to the circumstances and the situation he was in, he wasn't ever really put in, spots where they were super difficult where it was just one-on-one with a quarterback just dropping straight back to pass so I think pass blocking for him still a work in progress but I think he has some nice traits and he is he's a nasty player yeah I I forgot who it was I want to say Bob Quinn and one of his pressers sort of intimated that uh, Jackson was going to be the guy on the left side which is odd because that's where Dahl plays and then like you said you've got a Stenberg more as a right right guard type um, I, I'm with you. Like, I feel like Dahl will get the nod either, either way because of, you know, he's been there and done that type of thing. But I think you used a fourth rounder on Stenberg when really you, you probably could win other routes. So my, my innate ability wants to get him in the lineup and let him maul people early on because of what we spent on him. But we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how all that shakes out. You know, they got all these veterans, like you said, that I think will go away. Um, we'll keep this thing moving. We've got quite a few more battles I want to get through here. Uh, how about Cephas versus Geronimo, Geronimo Allison at the, uh, again, kind of at the bottom of the receiver core. Um, how you stack those? You're going to give Allison, you know, the, the, the earlier touches, or are you going to bump Cephas above him and put him kind of below Danny? I would like to believe that Cephas is the better player. Uh, you saw what Geronimo Allison has done in green Bay. He's made some really nice clutch catches, but at the same time, he's had plenty of drops. Uh, he's 
very similar along the lines of Cephas in terms of athleticism. And you spent a fifth round pick on Cephas. I know I misspoke earlier and said Semberg was a fifth round. He's a fourth. You correct me there. Um, <laughs> the fifth round pick was on Cephas. And I think, again, it, you know, that's a player that you invested in. You obviously must like what he can bring to the table. And you wouldn't want to cut a guy like that to keep a veteran. You kind of know what you already have. He's a middle-of-the-road guy who played in a, a system that I think probably inflated his stats. Playing with Aaron Rodgers probably helped him out quite a bit. You know, Matthew Stafford could probably help him out too, but he's just not much of a threat. Um, I, I would like to make sure that Cephas makes the roster before Allison, just due to the fact basically that he's a rookie and you don't know what you got there. What's uh, what's Cephas's ceiling, in your opinion? Do you think he can go from like being a 4-5 type guy this year to a – a good three, um, you know, next year if they move on from Marv, Danny, uh, or do you think he's still kind of take a little bit? I, I think this guy's got some sneaky upside to come in and make some plays early. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where they play Cephas because he played a lot on the outside at Wisconsin. He played some in the slot as well. Uh, given his ability to be like man press coverage and, you know, footwork, I think he could play on the line, you know, and, and go against the jam and beat those so in the slot typically those are the smaller players that might struggle with press corners because in the slot you can line up you know a few yards off the line of scrimmage and the corner's not going to be able to get their hands on you right away so it's I, more naturally anytime a guy runs a 40 time like Cephas did you always kind of pencil them in to the slot position because they're quicker than fast and he can play over the middle I, I think he's going to be able to play both inside and outside but you know, this year, I think he's just going to be more so a reserve than anything as long as the top three guys stay healthy. And then next year, if Marvin Jones and Danny Amendola are back, you could see his role really increase. Yeah. Yeah, well, curious what, what, what will happen with him or what we got in that player. Can we see him on the field, see what he's got? Um, this one, I kind of put both these guys as defensive ends. Uh, that's still yet to be determined, but it's kind of how I see it maybe shaking out. I've got Austin Bryant, the big uh, – you know, stand-up rusher-type player versus Romeo Okwara, the uh, guy we've been playing on the opposite of Trey Flowers. I mean, could, could you see Austin Bryant being more of a down defensive end uh, now that they have uh, Julian Okwara? He could kind of take that that outside linebacker role. And if you had to go Austin Bryant over Okwara in regards to the talent, would you do so, or do you think Romeo is still a, a, a better defensive end? Yeah, so with Bryant, I was really surprised when they were playing him as the Jack stand-up linebacker last year because he has the body type more so to be a down defensive end like Aquara and like Flowers. And, you know, I think a lot of times Aquara was seeing the field, you know, as the backup end to Flowers, and they'd move Flowers or Aquara inside, and kind of that was how they are trying to generate pass rush given more DNs on the fields. I think Julian Aquara... Uh, you know, drafting him, he's more of going to be the stand-up Jack backer like they have Austin Bryant. And if the Lions want to start using more of their off-ball linebackers at that Jack spot, especially on early downs, you know, against or the running downs, uh, I could see Austin Bryant maybe being cross-trained to have his hand in the dirt a little bit more and play some defensive end opposed, as opposed to standing up and rushing the pass. I, I've just never really – you know, even at the college level, looking at Bryant's tape, I, I never really saw a guy who is a stand-up linebacker or a guy who will drop into coverage every now and then 
Yeah. So it is. It's interesting to see what they have plans for Austin Bryant because we didn't see a ton of it last year. He's a big dude. I mean, he, is he in the uh, 275 plus uh, 6'5 type range for him? I mean, he's a big, uh, big athlete that, like I said, we didn't see much from. If I got to tip the scales, I mean, I know we haven't seen much. Part of my gimmick is like I always try to project forward. I think Bryant's got got more talent and ability and Okwara is still a good player, but he might be seeing more as that depth piece as we, as we keep evolving this roster. So we will uh, see what happens for sure. This, this one you're going to love Logan. Uh, we've got everybody's favorite Jared Davis, the guy that I, I stand up for all the time. I still think he's a great dude. He's going to be a, Get, get better, you know, as, as time goes on. Yes, he has his shortcomings. We all get it, but I still think he's a more than a serviceable player on a 53 man roster, uh, despite where he got drafted him versus Reggie Ragland. Let's say you're getting down into those middle kind of backup linebackers. You need a middle guy that can also do some other things, you know, Jared Davis versus Reggie Ragland, a little bit more of a vet, a guy that's one more. He's been a little bit more consistent, but still not a special football player. What do you think? Yeah, so Raglan's interesting because again, he didn't. His contract was super small for you know a, a guy who was a former second round pick and at the time of the draft was a pretty highly thought of prospect. And he is. He's a two down linebacker, more of a thumper, more of that old school mold, and that's the type of guys that Patricia likes. But he doesn't have any edge experience. And, and same with Davis. As much as Davis is good at blitzing and kind of being those delay blitz and on stunts. Davis still is an edge player and the Lions really haven't played him at the edge. And when the snaps, he does play at the edge. He isn't all that productive because he's going against, you know, left tackles or right tackles who are paid to pass block. And that's, you, you watch Jared Davis play and his sacks come from him being in the open field and be able to be a missile to the ball. But I think Ragland it, it's projected to be a backup. Um, maybe a guy who, you know, is a direct backup of Jared Davis and in passing downs, Jared Davis is a better athlete. It, although you don't necessarily, it doesn't translate to him in coverage. Uh, he's still a better option in the passing game than Ragland in my mind. But um, you just see so often with Dar- uh, Jared Davis being used, he's often that cover one hole player, the guy who just sits in the middle of the field and everyone else is in man. He just guards the middle of the field and is – like a pseudo quarterback spy slash, you know, grab any crossing route. So I think Jared Davis, I'd still have him ahead of Reggie Ragland, but I, I do like the addition of Reggie Ragland just because he is, he is a, he's a decent run stuffing type of linebacker that you can rely on for, you know, a couple downs at least. And you probably don't want to put him too much in pass coverage, but at this point outside of Jamie Collins, it, the Lions don't have a ton of pass uh, or, past defenders, I guess you can say, at linebacker. They use a lot of safeties. You know, they they typically use three safeties as their base package, and that hang defender, their box safety that they use, oftentimes covers the tight end. So as long as Patricia can mitigate the amount of pass coverage that both Davis and Ragland are in, I think they're both, you know, along the same lines and probably similar players. Real quick, do you see them both making the uh, 53? I do. Yeah. Cause just, you look at the linebacker unit and as long as Ragland can contribute on special teams, you, being a linebacker, you know, you think you would have some natural instinct, but um, you know, maybe even Jelani Tavai, he played almost exclusively at middle last year. 
he has a skill set and played at Hawaii on the edge. And I mentioned it earlier about how I think the Lions are planning on using Jamie Collins, even Christian Jones, and Tavai also have experience playing on the edge, kind of rotating those guys more at Jack Backer, which if Jelani Tavai is lined up on the edge, that means you're going to still need another middle linebacker. And Christian Jones and Jamie Collins can do it, but you might need a guy like Raglan to be like a true middle backer that's uh, not going to have as, as much versatility, but I still think he'll have a role on this team. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I'm curious to see how the linebackers shake out. There's a, quite a few on the roster. They all look similar and run slow, but I think that when you, when you look at the scheme and you look at what they're trying to do, it, I think it could be a, a kind of an interesting, nice unit as well. We'll, we'll definitely see. Um, let's go ahead and kind of rapid fire. I got these last four here and then we'll take a break and get to these uh, contracts um, that I want to get your opinion on. So not a ton to be said on these last few, but uh, curious of your opinion. So Jalen Reeves, Mabin keeps hanging on this roster. You know, they never play him much. You never see much, but he's still here after being drafted in the fourth round. I believe uh, he's probably four years in now. Um, Jalen Reeves, Mabin versus they just paid Christian Jones, uh, just kind of a market level contract, keep him around. Everybody had a big issue with that. Um, Jalen Reese Maben or Christian Jones, would you rather see sort of on this team, how they're currently constructed? So in, in my mind, and I think in the Lions defense, Jalen Reeves Maben is pretty much just a special teamer. And he doesn't have that typical size that Patricia looks for. He is one of the more athletic players the Lions have in that unit. But again, they don't heavily emphasize athleticism because they're just their linebackers are a lot of times just controlling gaps and need to be big and take on blocks and not overrun plays. And that kind of, you know, that's not Reeves Maven's game. He's always been a run and chase type of guy and the Lions don't really have that position at the linebacker spot where they want run and chase players necessarily. Um, obviously it helps on, you know, like the outside zones and pitches and stuff like that. If they can, they can move and get to the ball but that's supposed to be the defensive ends jobs and the Jack linebacker spot to turn those plays back in. So Christian Jones, as much as, you know, he's a very average, probably a well below average player given his versatility and how he can play on the edge. And he's a bigger linebacker. I, the lions obviously like him more than Jalen Reeves Maven, but you look at what also Reeves Maven did on special teams last year. And he was – him and Killebrew were, like, the top two guys the Lions had on coverage. And the Lions also signed Eric Lee, who's another special teamer, kind of in that that same size and dimensions as Reese Maven. So I think it would probably be those two guys who are fighting for the same spot over Christian Jones and Reeves Maven. But if I had to choose a player that I liked more, yes, it would be Reeves Maven over Christian Jones. But for this defense, <laughs> it's probably Christian Jones is a better fit over Reeves Maven. Nice. Uh, I, I guess, you know, before I ask you the next one, I'm just going to be curious to see how these quote, quote unquote special teamers work out because you got, you got JRM, you've got Killebrew, you've got McCray who they brought in. You've got curse now at a safety. That's kind of fills that type of role. You know, you mentioned a couple others, you know, the CJ Moores of the world, the uh, D virgins, like how, how many of these guys can we have on a 53? Cause I had a hard time you know, pinning it down, keeping a couple of those guys, let alone like you're just saying JRM being a special teamer. Like he has been the last couple of years, but 
I think they're only going to be able to have a couple of those guys if they're really going to have an impactful roster based on the other spots. So we'll see how it shakes out. That's always one of my pet peeves about these guys that are just special teams uh, monsters. It's like you can have a couple of those, but you can't have like four or five because it just kills your other spots. But Isaac Nada versus Hunter Bryant, the undrafted, highly touted tight end out of Washington. Do you keep both of those guys? Is one going to be more impactful than the other? How do you shake those two out? So those two guys are completely different players in my mind, whereas Hunter Bryant is basically a big slot, you know, that flex tight end. He's not going to provide anything as an inline tight end and blocking. And I think they both could actually make the roster if the Lions feel like they have a spot or they have a role in mind for Hunter Bryant. And if, you know, Nick Bodden, who came back rookie year, was lost to ACL, and then last year was the team starting fullback, didn't necessarily play well. Uh, Isaac Nada came in once Bodden got hurt again, and Nada was that H-back where he played fullback and tight end. So who knows if the Lions, if they want to go more of a traditional H-back role where he, Nada can line up at fullback and occasionally at tight end, he might, they might think he's a little bit more versatile and like what he brings over Bodden, and that would leave a spot for Hunter Bryant. But you just have to know what you're getting in Hunter Bryant, and that's basically a, a big receiver. So... <laughs> Um, that's what that's what I did, man. In my fifty-three, I, I gave Bodden the boot. I uh, kept Nada, and uh, Bryant. Uh, I had, unfortunately had to keep Jesse James, and I had Hawkinson there. So, like those four, I felt like you could get by by doing exactly what you said, putting Nada in a a little bit more of a versatile role. He can catch it. He could probably get some of the minimal blocking stuff done, but you know, it just hasn't worked out. Having that fullback, you know, just hasn't been very impactful. So, I got rid of it. Ty Johnson versus Huntley, the kid in the fifth round. This is going to be one of the battles to watch, I think. Yeah, so Ty Johnson and Huntley both have a ton of speed. Uh, Huntley is very small, though, and I think he could probably be that McKissick type of player the Lions had last year where you get him out in the open and you just let the guy run, where Ty Johnson, even though he is very fast, uh, doesn't have a ton of experience catching the ball. He caught the ball fine last year when he did get his opportunities. But he's still more of a traditional running back as to where Huntley, you're not going to be running him through the tackles too much. If you see him lined up in the backfield, he's going to be a guy who's probably going to, you know, either get a pitch or, you know, motion out to the slot or something of that nature. So I, Lions have typically only kept four running backs on their roster. And last year, the fourth was Ty Johnson. And if, if Huntley wants to make the roster, I think there's a way that they – both Huntley and Ty Johns could make the roster if the Lions are comfortable with moving on from Agnew, who is also, you mentioned the special teamers in the last, you know, it's just one of those deals where Agnew hasn't, has provided next to nothing on defense. So if the Lions wanted to go the Huntley route and keep Ty Johnson, I think they can both make it. But if you had to choose one of them, I, I would lean towards Ty Johnson right now, but I haven't seen much of Huntley, especially at the NFL level. Uh, you can look up his highlights, but as far as game film, it's really tough to find a ton of New Mexico State film. So I think Ty Johnson is a guy that can be a little bit more traditional back and give you a speed threat, whereas you know, Huntley's going to be just truly a gadget player. And if he's in the backfield, I think most teams know he's not going to get the ball going up the gut. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really curious to see what Huntley brings. I, I can't peg him yet either. I've seen a lot of craziness. I saw one, uh, I think it was even like an expert was saying, ah, he, he's kind of like a Tyreek Hill. I'm like, I, I didn't see that, you know, when I watched him, you know, they were just kind of, uh, I think, just leaning on his speed and whatnot. But um, I'm, I'm curious. Obviously, the Lions see something in him. They, they also took Ty Johnson for a reason. They, they got to get this running back group figured out because you can't take carry on in the second and then take Ty Johnson the following year and then take a Swift and then take Huntley and not be able to piece this together and be dynamic. So it, Bob Quinn better have a, a freaking idea. Uh, these last two, instead of battle, just does Bo Benchwall make the uh, roster? They kept him on the 53 all last year. He's been cross-trained everywhere. Do you think we see anything from him? I would like to think so, but he did not look good in the preseason last year. And I know he was an undrafted free agent favorite of many because he did have a great college career but he just has some flaws and they're athletic flaws and you know his blocking style is more of like leaning than it is powerful and uh i i would hope that he progresses and maybe he can take the spot of abushi or wiggins who both played more than him last year but i think he has to really develop in order to do so because the lions have you know they drafted two more guards this year and obushi and wiggins are experienced players and they have probably the leg up on them, but obviously the Lions liked what Ben Trowell could do or his you know, ceiling or his projection by keeping him on the roster all last year when he didn't play a single offensive snap in the regular season. So I, right now I think Ben Trowell is on the outside looking in, but I hope that he can kind of turn things around this preseason and show just a glimpse of something that he could be or that he was in college and he can make it over one of the veterans. Yeah, good stuff, man. Really uh, good takes on all that. Really uh, interesting. I think all the listeners out there are going to like all your different uh, stats and opinions and thoughts on on those battles or just what player over over the other guy. Uh, it's really going to be interesting, especially with a truncated camp to see how all this shakes out and see how this Lions 53 comes together because um, it's going to be some competitions, no doubt, and uh, they, they got to get the right guys out there to uh, to make a run this year. No question about it. Logan, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get your quick opinions on the Kenny Galladay contract, what you're willing to give him, what that might look like, as well as Taylor Decker, and then dive quickly into the Hal Vitae and Jamie Collins contracts. Maybe see a couple things the fans aren't aware of when you just see those scrolls on the bottom of ESPN that say three years, 30 million, five years, you know, 55 for Hal Vitae. Uh, give them a couple little details they can hang their hat on and what these really look like um, when it's all said and done. So everybody, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, real quick before we get back to the show. I mean, while you're waiting out this whole craziness and you're waiting at home, you can still have some fun betting with our partners, betonline.ag. There's no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, but don't worry. BetOnline has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR is back, Madden, NBA 2K simulations, UFC, all types of things. And coming next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Curry, and Craig Hodges joining to discuss the Michael Jordan doc on what they call After the Dance. There is still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use promo code my pod 100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit again that's betonline.ag and use the promo code my pod 100 betonline 
your online wagering solution. Believe in Lions listeners, we are back from the break. Thank you so much for listening. Please hit that subscribe button. We are on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, all the other podcast platforms you'd like. Please check out our sponsor, um, betonline.ag. Uh, definitely check them out. Appreciate them sponsoring the show. And uh, Logan, I want to uh, – Kenny Galladay, let's talk about it. There's been rumblings about him getting extended, him getting that bump in, in pay that he so rightly deserves. If you're Bob Quinn, what what are some general numbers? How big are you willing to go on this guy? What do you think? Yeah, so it's tough because this year, like every year, the the salary cap always increases. But there's been rumors that just with the revenue loss due to this pandemic that's going on, the salary cap could even potentially decrease next year. And you look at the top paid wideouts: the Julio Jones are making twenty two millions a year. You know, Amari Cooper and uh, making 20 million a year. Michael Thomas, I think, making over 19. And then you have Yodel Beckham, Tyreek Hills, and even AJ Green are all right around 18 million. At Galladay, I, I wouldn't say he's in that class yet. And he is 26 years old, will turn 27 years old. Uh, you know, he was an older rookie coming in. So I don't know how much more room he has really to improve, especially considering that, you know, he's not the fastest guy. He doesn't win with separation. I do. I think Galladay is one of the best contested catchers there is in the NFL, but at the same time, you know, is he in that upper tier where he deserves top five money? You could make the case he deserves top five money, which would be, you know, 18 plus a year if the salary cap was going to increase because the new players always get the bigger contracts because the salary cap goes up. So I I'm kind of in the ballpark where I wouldn't mind giving him around 17 million a year. Who knows if you'd be okay with that or not, but I think that'd be very fair looking at that price range of where uh, the top paid players are. And if the players and the agents know that the salary cap isn't going to be increasing, they're not going to be able to get that bump up or that percentage of pay that is increased every year. So it's, I I don't know how they're going to work that out or obviously the lions probably would know better than I do what the salary cap situation is going to look like, or maybe they don't know (laughs) depending on, how this season plays out and if they're able to allow fans into games and get all that merchandise. So I, I don't know. I'm conflicted too, because I always go back and forth. I don't think the wide receiver position is necessarily uh, a position you can, you can win with average wide receivers or like, like average paid wide receivers. Uh, You look at all the top guys like the Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham, you know, they, they haven't been to a Super Bowl even. And I think a lot of times you look at how Super Bowl rosters are constructed and the wide receiver position isn't typically super highly valued or a, a position where teams are spending a bunch of money at. Yeah, my, my thing with it is just the guy's only making a million bucks. So when you're talking about giving him 18, I mean, that's that's quite the pay raise now. I know that's kind of how it works to some degree, and that's probably why Bob Quinn's been holding all this money in the piggy bank, but it just worries me to jump a guy up that much. And like you said, he's improved every year, but is he going to be the elite of the elite or can we get a contract done that puts him in the top, you know, 10 to 15, which is kind of where I think he might end up great football player for what we have right now, but will he ever be that dominant force or that top, you know, five 
eight type paid guy. I mean, that's going to be the decision that has to be made. I'm really curious to see what happens. Uh, what do you think about Taylor Decker? We haven't really got into him too much. I talked to him with uh, about my uh, about him with my buddy Grifko, who does not like him. Um, I always say that he's uh, he's starter from day one. He's he's average or above average. He he's a leader in the locker room. I mean, I'm a, he's a guy I'm willing to keep around at a, at a decent number. I'm not going to pay him like a top five left tackle, but I'm going to try to work out something. I can get something done. That makes sense for all parties. What do you think about Taylor Decker? He's going to be up soon. I think he's making that fifth year. So he jumped up to round 15. I think this year, not much wiggle room after they gave him that fifth year extension. I mean, uh, as far as pay goes, where are you at with deck? Yeah. So Decker is a player. I think he's a lot like Jeff Backus. Who's a, he's a nice left tackle. He's never, I don't think he's an elite left tackle. He had some real good games last year, and then he had some games where he struggled. And so I think Laramie Tunzel, who now has the highest paid left tackle, is making $22 million a year, which you look at the next highest paid left tackle, and that was Anthony Costanzo, who was making sixteen and a half. So Tunzel kind of reset the market, and I don't think Taylor Decker is a Laramie Tunzel type. Uh, you do have a few right tackles who are making, you know, 18 million Lane Johnson and uh, Trent Brown for the the Raiders who was making 16 and a half. Uh, I think Decker is probably right, you know, in that $15 million per year range, you know, like the Nate Solder, DJ what? Humphreys range. And what? I think he's better than both those players and those players got paid. So he might even be looking more for that. I just don't know if I would consider him, you know, worthy of a top five left tackle and, I just said it with Galladay, how typically the, the latest contract will always be the highest paid. I don't think there's any way that the Lions will give Decker like a Tunzel type contract, which is $22 million a no. year. No. I, I would be okay with giving Decker, you know, right around that $15 million per year range, just because that's the going rate for left tackles. And if you want to find a left tackle in the draft, you more often than not have to select them very high. So do you want to go back to the draft route? after you just selected Decker in the first round, you know, a few years ago, like that's, I don't know if Bob Quinn can keep doing this with his first round picks where he drafts somebody and then has to basically replace them once their contracts. Up. So it's, I, I, I think I might like Decker a little bit more than the, the fan base, but he, he's not an elite tackle and shouldn't deserve elite money. Yeah. Do you know what his fifth year is? Is it more in the 12 range then? I, you know, I kind of said 15, but do you know what it is off the top of your head? Uh, I wanted to say. Uh, I know it's high. He went I from like said nothing to. I thought, that was, I thought that was a little much. If uh, I wanted to say it was 10 million, but that doesn't sound right. And I think I might be getting that mixed up with Jared Davis's fifth year option, what that would have been. Um, it might have been right around 12 and a half. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take a peek no, it here. Was. Um, it was 10. I just looked it up. It was 10.35. So, um, okay. which is fine. I'm, I'm fine with a $10.3 million contract. Right. For Decker and then, like I year. said, you're right in the range. Like 15 to me is the high, very high end for Decker. Like, you know, if you gave him four years at, at 12, you know, I think you could almost uh, have him consider that based on where he's at as a player. You know, uh, if he wants to get up, you know, higher than 15 or more, like that's when I let him go and I go figure out a different option. So um, I'm willing to keep him. I think he can just keep playing over there and be, you know, I don't notice him too much, but I, like you said, there's no way I'm giving him 
you know, upwards of some of the money that you mentioned on some of the other people. Let's, let's finish out the show here. Let's uh, just finish out with the guys we did pay this off season that the fans were kind of up in arms about. What about Hal Vitae? You know, came out five years, 45 million bucks. I'm looking at it right now in 2020, he has a base of 4 million a signing bonus, a cap hit of 5.5 that jumps out to 10.5 in 2021. And there's a potential out, uh, you know, heading into that 2022 where it's just two years, 20 million with only a $4 million cap hit. Now, if he plays great football, they have him on the hook for, you know, 2022, 23, 24 at around the cap hits around, you know, 10 to 11 million on average, I'd say just looking at it. Um, and he's got uh, the the dead cap hits are not bad. The only time the dead cap hits are bad are the first two seasons. Uh, after that, it's it's very minimal. So when you when you break down some of those numbers, I mean, is this a contract you like, or are you still sort of? I've heard some people are just think it's a it's an awful contract, uh, you know, based on money. But I think that's people might just be looking at why are you paying this guy ten million for the next five years when really that's not how it breaks down. Yeah. So it was initially reported. Uh, in the free agents period that he signed a five year, $50 million deal, yeah. which would have been $10 million a year. And then once contract terms came out, it was 45 million a year, which on average is 9 million a year, which is again, as a right tackle, you know, that's fair. And you know, he just signed a big or a new contract. So he is going to be a little bit pricier, but you mentioned it. Whereas just after the 2021 season, you know, only to cut him, if he's not living up to that contract, it's only a $4.2 million dead cap hit. And that would, you'd get out from under three years remaining on his deal. So this year, his cap hit being that it's 5.4 million. That's actually really solid for a right tackle. You know, if, if you're paying a right tackle in free agency and his cap at this year is only 5.4 million, I'm more than happy with that. Now next year, when it jumps up to 10.4, if he doesn't, you know, exceed expectations, there's the possibility that he's not going to be a $10.4 million player. But at the same time, we just talked about those right tackles that were making, you know, like Lane Johnson making $18 million a year as a right, right tackle. $10 million for a right tackle isn't that bad. And even the year after that, he's making $8.4 million towards the cap hit if they didn't cut him. And then he's back up, you know, in uh, 2023 to 10.4 in the same deal in uh, 2024. So it's like, I, I don't mind the contract at all after it's broken down and just knowing that it's, there's not much risk after two years and anytime he's not living up to the contract, you know, say they played, he was here three years and they didn't want to have him around in 2023. His dead capital would be 2.8 million. So that's, that's pretty easy to get out of. So I, I'm fine with paying a rather unproven player. He has starting experience on both the left and the right side, which is very valuable. But again, the Lions have an out if he doesn't live up to expectations. In other words, believe in Lions fans. You can believe B-L-E-A-V in this contract. It's two years, $16 million for Hal Vitae. I mean, if he plays incredible football, we'll keep him around at, at, a, at a good rate. But I, I think you only see those couple years out of him. And uh, if he plays great, it would really help the team. Uh, let's let's do Jamie Collins to finish out the show. Again, it was mentioned three years, 30, a $10 million average. That's the the basic numbers when you really look at it. He only makes a $4 million base here this year. Um, decent little signing bonus, 2.5, so a cap hit of around six. And, uh, you know, you can't cut him. Crazy dead, dead cap the next two seasons. He jumps up, basically doubles his amount in 2021 
which makes him 11 over 11 million dollar, you know, outside linebacker that's 31 years old. I don't love that, but there's the potential out again after that year. So two years, 20, um, and, and only a 2.3 dead if you if you want to get out at that point, and if you want to keep him around for that third year at 32 years old, it's going to cost you basically 20, 10. 12.5, which I think is, I can't see him being worth that at that point. But those, those first two years, eh, I mean, I want to say not bad, but on average, you're, you're still paying Jamie Collins, you know, eight, even if you make it 8 million bucks a year, it seems like a lot unless he really balls out at optimal level. Yeah. And again, the cap hit this year, you mentioned it's 6.3 million, which I think is very fair for him. And if he provides the type of boost that he had in New England last year, I think that's very fair. And, yeah, you're kind of stuck with him even next year in his age 31 season because that dead cap is actually going to be more – it's going to cost more to cut him than it would to keep him in, in 2021. So, yes, he's going to be here for the next two years. And I think even at $11 million for a cap hit in 2021, if he plays anything like he did in New England last year and he lines up on the edge and is kind of like a jack backer and is also a coverage linebacker at the same time on passing downs, I think it's more than worth it. You see other linebackers like the C.J. Mosleys and the Bobby Wagners, you know, they're getting $7 million more a year than that. So it's not it's not a horrible contract, but oh, uh, I do that, find it hard <laughs> to believe that he would be around on that third year. Yeah, I, I think you used an extreme example there. You're talking about the best of the best linebackers to Jamie Collins, who really nobody else, I, I don't think he was a quite uh, – you know, a, a highly touted guy out there in free agency. I feel like we paid him a tons because he knows the scheme and he's athletic and he'll come in here and be, you know, more more bendy than than Kennard was. But he better be damn good for two years, basically eighteen plus million. We're paying him nine million a year for the next two. Like that's that's a pretty premier linebacker even in today's days. Because I don't think linebackers they don't get paid like tackles, quarterbacks, even wide receivers. Some of the positions we already talked about. So you can't just throw out like, oh, eight, nine million, like it's nothing because there's a lot of good linebackers in the league that make no money. You know what I mean? So that's, that's my counterpoint is like on $9 million average, this guy better be getting sacks. He better be getting the football out. He better be a leader. He better be plugged in. That's the other thing you hear about him. He's not plugged in all the time. Like, I mean, this is a, this is the wild card for me for the Detroit Lions. If he comes in here and he's a great teammate, plays great, I love this contract, no problem. If he's, you know, hit or miss every week and injured and doesn't care, it's going to look real bad, I think. Yeah, and and I just mentioned those names because it is. It's, he's making a lot less than those big-name players, as he should. But then you look at other, you know, like Kyle Van Noy got almost $13 million a year this year, and I would rather have Jamie Collins than – Kyle Van Noy and he's $3 million less a year. And you also have like a guy like, like Blake Martinez this year signed a $10.25 million contract per season. And it's uh, like uh, Bernard McKinney, I think is right around $10 million. So if you look at like that range, I think Collins price tag is very fair. Cause I think he is in that level of linebacker as long as he can, be what he was in new England and not the Cleveland version of himself. Yeah, I hope so. Like you say, I'm, I'm always optimistic here on the show. I always believe BLEAV, but uh, like I say, I just got to see it with some of these guys, some of these older Patriots and, and people that we're just hanging our hat on. I mean, like I say, he, he's the big guy on defense. I think that's going to, 
you know, really help us out a lot or really be uh, be different. I mean, he says here he's the number 17 outside linebacker paid. You know, he's the number, seventh paid highest player on the Detroit Lions. You know, Hal Vitae's in that same range. You know, basically seventh or eighth highest paid. I, th- I can't remember where he was at with tackles. He's up there as well, probably like in the top, you know, 15 or so. Uh, it looks like he's the 11th highest paid right tackle in the game. So those guys better play well with those kind of uh, prices and whatnot. But when you look at the details, I do think it gives the fans and people a little bit to hang their hat on and say, hey, you know, these aren't flat out $10 million deals for the next three, five years. There, there's definitely some things in there to consider and we'll see how it shakes out. So, uh, man, Logan, we, we tackled a lot. You broke it down, all the uh, different battles and whatnot. Uh, real good info on some of these contract numbers. I know that's something me and you always pay attention to. It's, it's not always just about, oh, he's a good player or, hey, you know, this guy is uh, – going to help the team it's what are you paying him versus is the other spots you know what are the outs what are the uh what's the impact on the overall salary cap that's really what these teams are about when it comes to player price you know and what they can do on the football field so appreciate you coming on man i'll let you uh if you'd like to get any plugs in there or tell people where they can find you but uh like i said you come on here every month or so and always drop the knowledge so really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me you can find me at twitter at L. Emerandier, uh, at si.com slash NFL slash Lions uh, is where I write the most. Lion Lowdown as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm on here enough where if you're listening, you know where to find me. Just L with the long last name. <laughs> Logan, appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for coming on Believe in Lions. Everybody, uh, have a great week. We'll check you next time right here on the Believe Podcast Network where we believe, B-L-E-A-V, in Lions. Take care, everybody. Route. I believe, I believe, I believe. I love the Lions. Say it with me. I love the Lions. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.